0: Coming up on Studos America, we'll be talking a little bit about Dr. Seuss today as the woke left rushes to cancel some of his older works. What's really fascinating is how it all ties back into this idea of the great reset that you've heard about on this network. Justin Haskins from the Heartland Institute will join me to help break it down. And the waves of crap are continuing to roll downhill and smack Andrew Cuomo in the face. We'll look at what's new today with the governor and his wandering hands. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Be sure to help us battle the evil YouTube algorithm robots by subscribing to our channel on YouTube and podcast and liking everything that we do. You can find links to to the stream of the show online uh, any way you want, really, at stewdoesamerica.com. Or maybe you just want to make it easy and get all your conservative content in one easy place. It's time for a Blaze TV subscription. Head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll save 10 bucks. Some great and much-needed news here in the state of Texas today. We may not have to hide out in our rec rooms much longer. Let's ditch the masks and do the reopening of Texas.
1: Stew does America.
0: You know, what a pleasure to do this show today. What an exciting day it is. Here we are a year, a year after. I mean, we were here the whole time. You know, I never went home. Uh, we've been doing the show the entire time. I never uh, stopped doing the show. We started the show in February of last year, got like two weeks in, and then the entire society melted down. And it was really strange. I remember doing a show on like March 11th and March 12th, wherever it was, where it really was starting to sink in that this might be the end of all civilization as we know it. And only a few days later, it was uh, the 15 days to slow the spread. We were all at home. And I remember thinking, you know, you get into a few weeks into that and you're like, are we ever going to get society back? Are we ever going to return to normal? Is this ever going to happen? And here I am, you know, less than a year later, very happily doing a show about the reopening of my wonderful home state of Texas. Um, Here is uh, the moment. uh, This was being announced today. Governor Greg Abbott did a press conference and made the big reveal.
2: For nearly a half a year, most businesses have been open either 75% or 50%. And during that time, too many Texans have been sidelined from employment opportunities. Too many small business owners have struggled to pay their bills. This must end. It is now time to open Texas 100%. 100%
0: open says Greg Abbott. Now, you know, we've been talking about this for a while and there's been this sort of strain of thought on the conservative side mostly that look, they're never going to give up these these restrictions now that they have them. This is going to go on forever. As you know, I tend to be a wonderfully wild optimist in such things. And I'm really, you know, as you know, I have a big hope for the vaccine. I think that's going to solve this eventually. Uh, also, the other thing, and I've mentioned this a couple times, is when Donald Trump was president, uh, he uh, people forget. They like to maybe brush over the fact that Donald Trump was the guy who was making the speech about the 15 days to stop the spread and then another 30 days to stop the spread after that. Also kept a lot of these uh, restrictions in. And there's a big hesitance from any red state to be aggressive in opening up. A couple states did do it. We saw Georgia attempt to do it very early and get smacked down by the president president publicly uh, at the time. Um, So there's a lot of hesitance by red states to open up, especially before the election, and risk anything going more wrong than it was already going. Now the incentives are totally different. Now you have a Democrat in office and all these red state governors are sitting back and saying, you know what? Screw that guy. We're going to do what we want to do. And now there's a bit of a race to open up. I saw also Mississippi opened up, I believe, today as far as the mask mandate goes. Um, I think Montana did the other day. I think you're going to see a big wave of these red states, especially taking these restrictions off. And we'll get into the reasons for that here in, in a second. But look. It's a good thing. Uh, freedom is a good thing. And uh, they're going to be there could be some rocky roads uh, in front of us, but we have to be able to handle our own lives. Don't you agree? Uh, there's also an argument to be made that some of this is politics. Greg Abbott is a possible 2024 uh, candidate. He's going to have to win in 2022 first. Maybe he's just afraid of Chad Prather running against him. I don't know. But in 2024, he is a a guy who wants to be able to not only win his governor, uh, his job as governor again in 2022, but also potential 2024 nominee. These guys want to get out in front of this. Republicans want to show that they're early on this bandwagon and not late. Now, Abbott is not going to be the earliest. Obviously, Kristi Noem, uh, for example, uh, did never really put any restrictions on her state. Uh, Florida had some restrictions, never a statewide mask mandate for Ron DeSantis. So there is this there's this field developing for 2024, and it's hard to completely separate this uh, from that. And this is maybe the timing is being affected by this. That being said, there's some real reasons why this should go forward. Um, Let's talk uh, a little bit more here about this is from Greg Abbott talking about Texas today and the words my wife has wanted to hear for so, so long. No more mask
2: mandates. To be clear. COVID has not like suddenly disappeared COVID still exists in Texas in the United States and across the globe but it is clear from the recoveries from the vaccinations from the reduced hospitalizations and from the safe practices that Texans are using that state mandates are no longer needed So today, I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100 percent. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Uh,
0: I've already told you I'm not doing any more mask uh, monologues. I'm done with them. But this is just pure pleasure, Uh, mainly just because I don't have to hear my wife talk about it anymore. And honestly, everybody around here is kind of fired up about, especially, I will say, When you look at the polling, it's not everybody, but the people in the sort of conservative media sphere are very fired up about mask mandates. That happens to be the life I live. I live around lots of people who are in the conservative media. They're all fired up about it. I'm finally happy to see it end. Although as an ugly person, I will continue to wear my mask out of personal courtesy. Just my promise to you. Um, I will say that if you are in Texas or if you're in Mississippi or one of these other states uh, that is lifting mask mandates, one thing you will notice is that life isn't going to instantly change all that much. You know, uh, if uh, you're not going into a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods uh, without a mask on because those places are private businesses that can tell you you can come in with a mask or don't come in. That's private property rights. They should be able to do that. And they They will do that. A lot of chain restaurants will do it. A lot of chain businesses because they'll have uh, sort of overarching policies from the top of the corporation that require it. Though you'll see a lot of mom and pops, I think, open things up a little bit more quickly. Uh, So look for that uh, around your area. Gavin Newsom, very upset. As you know, Gavin Newsom has uh, managed this situation very, very well. And uh, man, just a guy to look up to uh, when you're talking about real performance against COVID. He uh, tweeted this against Greg Abbott. He said... Absolutely reckless. Which is an interesting, uh, I mean, considering his previous behavior, wasn't he like hooking up with his like main uh, campaign heads wife. That seems pretty reckless to me, but apparently uh, not letting me, not making people wear masks is really what the reckless thing is. Um, It's interesting to kind of watch this develop, and I think you got to look at it as a couple of different ways. Number one, there is the political element that we already sort of talked about. Um, You also have the idea and the question, is it time to do this? Is it the right time? Why is this occurring? Yes, part of it is just because Joe Biden's president and every Republican wants to rush and say, screw him. I want to do the opposite of what he's asking us to do. Uh, But beyond that, there's a real good argument, really good argument to to say, hey, it's time. The numbers are falling. Vaccines are coming. Let's look at some of these numbers. I want to, you know, you've you've been watching this show for a while now, probably probably not your first rodeo on this program. You know, you've been with us the entire time because of you. You've been spreading the word about Andrew Cuomo and what's happening now. The guy's in serious trouble. Will it end uh, with him leaving office? I don't know. I don't believe we can have nice things, so it probably won't. But at least there's a chance of it now, and his reputation is completely destroyed, which is is a positive. You've seen if you go back and look at our COVID stuff from the summer where we talked about where uh, we were going to hit a really rough patch in the summer, which we did. Um, We talked about that in advance and we talked about uh, where we were in uh, coming into this uh, year uh, in advance about uh, that. We were going into this sort of bad third wave. We also uh, just a couple. I think this was January 18th. I want to bring you back to January 18th on this very program. We showed the little slightest bit of hope. Would it turn into anything? Let me show you this, and then we'll show you what actually happened with this little teensy-weensy bit of hope. The best thing to look at for what is happening right now is current hospitalizations. And here is where we find the smallest, tiniest, microscopic, little itsy-bitsy bit of possible good news, maybe. The pandemic has come in three waves. The first one, mainly in Cuomo land. The second, mainly in the south. And this one, mainly everywhere. The first Cuomo land wave rose quickly and topped out around 60,000 hospitalizations. Then there was the second wave that came, and it too topped out right about 60,000 hospitalizations. But the third wave has blown them all away. As for last week, we were up to uh, in the area about one hundred and thirty thousand hospitalizations. It's a chart that looks like my weight over the past year. And like my weight, that third wave is just a straight line up. You'll notice that there is no, you know, there's not ups and downs along the way. It's just up and then up and then more up and more up after that. But unlike my weight over the past year, there's a little bit of hope. Get super close to your screen for a second, adjust your eyesight, squint just a little bit, and look at the top right of that chart. Let's zoom in on it. There there it is. Do you see what I see? I see a little bit of a drop. Could it be that we've hit a peak? Maybe so, just maybe so? That little blip doesn't look like much. But as I mentioned, hospitalization numbers are pretty smooth. Generally, they don't have the ups and downs like the other stats. And that's a six percent drop off from the highest number. It broke a streak of over 100 consecutive days of the average rising. So, as you know, we we continue to sit here and obsess about these dumb numbers so you don't have to. And now we have an update of that exact chart. Remember that little tiny turndown uh, back in the day that we pointed out? Well, it was a uh, reason to be hopeful. We've now dropped all the way down below the hospitalization levels of both of the two other two waves. Again, we're still relatively high compared to those towards the top, but we're going in the right direction and we're going there fast. And there's reason to believe that that's going to continue as we kind of uh, insert vaccinations into the game. Um, We've seen a real uh, drop off in vaccinations. Do we happen to have that New York Times chart? I know we talked about it uh, right before we went on. I don't know if we were able to pull that. Yeah, here it is. Um, We showed you this last week. This is pretty interesting. Uh, First of all, we understand the way these vaccinations went out the vaccinations went out to elderly populations in nursing homes first. And if you see the red line here, The death rate for nursing homes has dropped dramatically since uh, uh, vaccinations have started hitting that population. The rest of the population has stayed around even a little bit of a drop from its ultimate peak, but has stayed around even all of the drops here in death rates are coming from nursing homes. And those are the places that have been vaccinated. It is really, really positive, man. I hope it continues. And and I'm I'm pretty confident uh, that it will. It's, It's happened in Israel as well, kind of the same way. Um, So we do have some good uh, uh, news there. Let me give you this here. This is from from Greg Abbott today, talking about how fast vaccinations are rolling out here in Texas. Most
2: importantly now, now in Texas and across the country, we now have vaccines, vaccines to protect Texans from COVID. More than 5.7 million vaccine shots have already been given to Texans. Today, we set a one-day record amount of vaccines administered, administering more than 216,000 in one day alone. And we're now administering about a million vaccine shots a week. By next Wednesday, about seven million shots will have been given to our fellow Texans. Equally important, We are getting the vaccines to the Texans who need it the most, those who are most likely to be hospitalized or lose their life because of exposure to COVID. By next Wednesday, over half of our seniors will have received a vaccine shot. And by the end of this month, every senior who wants a vaccine shot will be able to get a vaccine shot. And really,
0: that's an important part of this, right? If you don't want a vaccine shot, you shouldn't have to take a vaccine shot. But if you want one, it should be there for you, and so far, the results are really, really uh, positive and promising. um so we look forward to that kind of uh, you know kicking in how much of this current improvement is related to the vaccines you know as as the most uh, positive uh, pro vaccine person in America. Uh, I do think part of it is that, but generally speaking, I think this fall is more to do with you know the ebbs and flows of the way this has gone before. As you saw, there was rises and falls before, and there was, no, you, know, no vaccine in the first two waves. I think really where we're going to see rubber hit the road here is when we get down to these lower levels, uh, which hopefully are going to come uh, soon, and the population gets vaccinated over the next few months. Do we have rises like we did before? Hopefully this will knock out any future uh, increases. And, you know, look, we're back to life. I, mean, I don't know what the number is. There's some number of, of, of deaths that sadly we all live with every single day. People die of things all the time. This is going to be covid, at least for a while. We're going to have people who are continuing to die from it. But we don't necessarily need to see one, two, 4,000 deaths a day. I mean, that's just, you know, it's, it, you know, 4,000 deaths a day is double the single greatest cause of death in America, which is heart disease. That's, uh, that's more than anyone wants to swallow. So hopefully we are at the point now where we can get this down under 1,000 and careening towards zero. And then it's gonna be really, really hard to justify any of these restrictions, even in the crazy blue states. Um, I want to leave you with this, though. This is from Greg Abbott today as well. He talked about it not just being about vaccines. It's not just about mandates on and off. There's another factor that apparently plays into this. He's identified. Watch.
2: Despite these changes, remember this. Removing state mandates does not end personal responsibility or the importance of caring for your family members and caring for your friends and caring for others in your community. Personal vigilance to follow the safe standards is still needed to contain COVID. It's just that now state mandates are no longer needed.
0: Here's the thing. They were never needed. They were never appropriate for a country like this. We were at a time that was really, really challenging, and I can understand why people wanted to take these actions. But as we've discussed so many times, and I don't know if there's any other shows that have discussed this over the time, but all the data in the background, the advanced data, if you will, shows that the government mandates have had very little to do with this crisis from the beginning. It's had a lot to do with businesses closing down. But as far as the performance against, as far as the disease uh, resilience has gone for state by state, uh, really has not done much. People have done what they believe is right throughout this, largely. And they have moved before the government has moved. And that data has proven, I think, for a long time that this was always about personal responsibility. It's not something new. It's always been about personal responsibility and freedom and that balance that should be something that we all learn from this. You know, we can all sit back and, and talk about the mandates, but in reality, this is our country. In America, the people move first. The government follows the people. We don't follow the government. We've been bitching so much about the schools. We've been bitching so much about mandates. When The, the reality is, it comes down to us and what we do. And when people uh, do what they can to stay safe and try to stay away from this stupid uh, virus, We've seen real success when people have uh, kind of just blown that stuff off. We've seen problems, but it's still people's personal responsibility and personal right to do what they want to do. It's always been about personal responsibility and freedom. And I'm glad we're finally remembering that in Texas. Trying to buy or sell a home in these times can be challenging, particularly when you have a cold burst in in Texas and all your pipes burst uh, and all the water comes through your ceiling and um, and then you, you have an indoor pool. And for a while, an indoor skating rink. Uh, You can't sell that home, really. But if you want to buy or sell a home, you need to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You need to find the person who has all the contacts. I will say like people a lot of times think of real estate agents as people who kind of come in and out of their lives when they're buying or selling a home. And that's obviously the most important time. But if you find a good real estate agent and you can have a great relationship with them when things go wrong in the middle of a crisis like that. You can call them. You can say, hey, I really need someone to come out here, a plumber. Do you have anybody that you know? These guys are connected to the community and they have great working relationships with uh, the the craftsmen in your area. And it's, it's interesting that like people would say, well, I don't I don't think my real estate agent has that. Well, you might not have the right real estate agent then. Need to have one that's screened that is the best in your community? Go to realestateagentsitrust.com to find that person. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Happy to welcome back to the program and in the studio for the first time. Justin Haskins, he's the editorial director of the Heartland Institute, as well as the editor-in-chief of StoppingSocialism.com, which sounds like a worthy cause to me, I think so. Justin, welcome to a Texas Mask Independence Day. Oh
1: my gosh, <laughs> I love it here. This is what a great time to be alive, right? I don't yeah. have to wear something on my face now without worrying about the Texas I don't know. Rangers tracking know. me down or something.
0: <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting experiment to see kind of play out here because yeah. there's an element of Texas that's just like, yeah, we're going to do whatever we want anyway. So there's there's a lot of people walking around without masks and stuff on here. Um, I don't know that's going to change all that much that dramatically because really these are decisions especially with like chain restaurants, chain stores that are made at this corporate level. And they're going to say, no, we don't want to be the, un, the irresponsible one. You, we have to still mandate, at, you know, at targets and, and Costco's and everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And, and I think the timing is a little suspicious. You know, I heard you guys just had a big storm here <laughs> and it didn't exactly go very well. No. And, and so <laughs> I wonder how much of that has to play into it as well. You yeah, know, I think the opening of businesses is actually the better thing. Um, All businesses now apparently are going to be able to open 100% capacity. And so I think that's fantastic, especially for those mom and pop shops. But yeah, how much is it going to affect your life if you're just spending most of your time at chain restaurants and and chain stores and all that? Probably not at all because they're not going to change anything.
0: Yeah, it's going to go a lot slower. Uh, Exactly. Uh, I will say most of my life is spent at chain restaurants. Me too. Uh, So (laughs) that's pretty much the way I roll. Um, It's interesting to kind of see this uh, play out because I think you have this you mentioned sort of the politics of it with the storm. There's also a 2024 concern potentially with Abbott. I think there's this race now to be the first to loosen these restrictions if you're in a red state. And and the 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 sort of incentives are different for these governors. When Trump was president, it was like, you know, he had people out there saying, like, you know, we need to you know, have restrictions. We don't want these numbers to go up now. Biden's president. And now, like the incentives are, well, he's saying he wants mass, we don't want mass. Like yeah. there's now that red state push to be the first to open everything up.
1: Oh, without question. and and just recently at CPAC, when they did a straw poll, number one, Trump, mm-hmm. number two, Ron DeSantis. Yeah. And that, I think Abbott's looking at that and saying, hey, you know, Florida's pretty open. I think we should probably be really open too. Let's see if let's see who can be number one here. We both run big states, right? And I don't think he's looking, I think he's looking at the calculus and saying, I don't know that I can beat a guy who's running on, I opened up everything yeah. and uh, look how great it is here if you still have things closed down. So, There's clearly a lot of politics going on. A lot of anti-Biden politics is going to feed into this, too. You know that that's going to be the case. But the biggest issue here is, and the thing that bothers me the most about this whole thing, is how is this based on science at all? (laughs) I mean, look at the case numbers. Look at the people who are dying. And then go back, I don't know, like eight months ago. I mean... Does it really matter? I mean, why didn't they open things back up back then? Why did they ever shut anything down when they shut things down? It wasn't as bad as it is right now.
0: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it is coming down. But you're right. I mean, we just talked about this. It's still at basically the peaks of the first two waves. I think one of the like if you go back to a year ago and you're talking March, you're talking April, especially because we didn't have any tests. There at least is an argument, right, where I can understand what the thinking was and by Donald Trump, right, who came out and said, hey, 15 days to to slow the spread. You could at least understand it, even though on a personal liberty grounds, I'd still oppose it. Um, But but once you get to this point where you have all these tests, where where the vaccines becoming available, um, where we've learned so much more, where the treatment is so much better, where there are things you can do if you do get it. I mean, we've crossed that line of absurdity. I think going up to the election, there was a lot of posturing about how it would affect the election. Now I think we're at that place where, at least in red states, I, I still think Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo are gonna be awful, uh, but I think at least in red states, you're gonna see this really start kicking Absolutely. out.
1: Absolutely, well, especially because when you look at the data, there's, I mean, you have lockdown states, you have states that didn't lock down, you have mask mandates, you have all these different things, and yet the data doesn't seem to show that it's made any difference <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so if you are getting destroyed by this, and the mask mandate isn't really destroying anyone, yeah. but closing down the businesses is, if you're getting destroyed by this and you're looking at the the covid numbers and you're saying well this state over here is open up and they're not having they're just as bad off as we are they're yeah. not any better off you know how do you justify that and i think the longer this goes on especially in red states, the easier it's going to be politically to say, hey, you know what, let's just open up everything and and start getting our economies rolling again, getting kids back in schools again, yep. all of that stuff. Uh, otherwise, what's the difference between Republicans and Democrats in the next election? Essentially no. nothing, right?
0: I've got a monologue coming up this week on that. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> people. Uh, so um, let, I think this is tied together in a weird way in that, COVID happens, people are at home, they're very frustrated, they got lots of free time. I don't think it's a coincidence that the rise of cancel culture and woke culture has really accelerated here in the past year. I I do think that part of it is just everyone's constantly agitated. They're always looking for something to point the finger at. The Karen thing is the woke thing in a lot of ways with a sort of like Ibram X. Kendi BS intellectualism (laughs) behind it. Um, I I mean, today, Dr. freaking Seuss apparently is going to be canceled.
1: Yeah. Isn't it amazing? I mean, all these poor kids have been radicalized by Dr. Seuss for all these years. <laughs> yeah. It's like they've been watching... Uh, they treat it like it's, it's kids are watching videos of Ayatollah Khomeini, right? Yeah. And they're just going to go out and become ICE. No kid ever has gotten ra- has become radicalized by, by reading Dr. Seuss no, books. No. It's never happened. They're not becoming, you know, uh, grand wizards of the Ku Klux Klan right. in, later in life as a result of this. It's totally ludicrous. I do think that there's a strategy behind this on the part of the left though. I do think people are just agitated and angry at the world yeah. and that, that feeds into it. It
0: just makes it worse, right. that's not the, the cause of it. Exactly,
1: yeah. but I do believe that there is a strategy behind it because Dr. Seuss has been dead for a long time, his books have been around forever. Why are we just hearing about this now? Because I think there has to be this constant drumbeat of, you know, there's a racist behind every corner, your kids are going to become racist, everything is tied to systemic racism, mm-hmm. and that has to keep going. If, it, if it's just like, you know what, let's just rid the world of all of the racist material, and then next week we can just move on with our lives, then everyone will forget about it. Yeah. But if every week there's a new racist to, to especially dead people who <laughs> can't even defend themselves, yeah. then, then it just goes on forever, and it makes you feel like, you know what, maybe this is this culture of horror, horrible racism. I think it's gonna backfire. I think it already has started to backfire. Uh, I don't think a lot of people who've been reading their kids' Dr. Seuss books are all of a sudden going to look in the mirror and say, what have I done? You know, I'm this horrible parent. I mean, come on. I I think it is going to backfire, but at the same time, we're talking about it. Yeah, and I, I think, I, you know, I think the that, left wants.
0: The, that's been sort of the success of, of fighting racism is part of the reason this exists, right? Like when you get rid of real racism, right? Racism where uh, one group of people are prejudiced against another group of people and assign negative characteristics to that group, right? And use that to oppress them. Like... I mean, you know, of course, there's still examples of that type of racism, but yep. it's so minuscule in compared to where it was. And so the success of fighting that off creates a situation where the worst thing you can say about someone is that they are a racist. So instead of the left saying, hey, this is great, we've got we got rid of this whole racism thing. Instead, they say, well, let's redefine racism into this weird Ibram X. Kendi, you know, white fragility type of thing. And therefore, we can now call everybody racist again, because now it's just a whole new thing. We just keep the bad
1: association and apply it to a new meaning. Yeah, well, and it's especially dangerous because the argument essentially is you're a racist and you don't even know it. Yeah. And you can and you say you're not it. a racist, yeah. but you are. You and there's are. nothing you can do about it. You no. know why? Because your parents read you Dr. Seuss. Right. <laughs> and that is the root cause yeah. of, that's why you're here. You wouldn't be a racist host at The Blaze mm-hmm. if they hadn't read you Dr. Seuss. This is the kind of the kind of logic that they've been using and they're gonna continue using. And there is literally nothing you can do, except just, I guess, either accept that you're a racist and try to atone for your sins mm-hmm. or, reject the whole thing and just say this is completely ludicrous but those are the choices that you've been given and what I think they believe is that if they can put people in a position where they're constantly defending themselves and constantly saying no 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 I'm not a racist that's a pretty good place for them to be yeah and and that's I think the politics behind all of this is very very real because when Barack Obama was talking about how wonderful Dr. Seuss was there was nobody saying whoa 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 wait a minute Dr. Seuss is a racist what are you doing mm-hmm. there was no one doing that you know when Michelle Obama Obama did it. When Joe Biden was doing it in the past, again, no one was complaining. So there's always politics behind all of this. And it's it's exhausting to have to constantly be defending yourself, it, it seems even like, over children's books.
0: I mean, it even seems like a terrible life if you're on the left oh, of just gosh. constantly trying to find that outrage of the day. Yeah. And I will say, yes, I am a blaze host, uh, partially also because I played with Mr. Potato Head back in <laughs> the day. That's a whole other story. <laughs> um, I want to talk about how this ties into the Great Reset, though. I know you've been doing a lot of work on this, and you guys have been really uh, studying this carefully. Because this is sort of like I mean, Glenn's, Glenn's kind of explained this a little bit, and Glenn's always like 10 steps ahead of the audience and uh, trying to explain what he's thinking 100 steps ahead.
1: That doesn't sound like Glenn. Yeah, Are you I, know, I know,
0: it sounds t- totally crazy. Um, but there's this idea that you're essentially doing an end run around the Constitution, right? Like, yeah. you want, instead of being able to do it through politics, which you can't do because we're limited by, the, by the, our founding documents, you instead sort of just slip in and do a little end around using capitalism, using corporations, working with government to implement these things they been trying to do for years is that the the right way to understand yeah i
1: mean there's really there's two parts to the great reset two major components the first part is your standard run-of-the-mill big gigantic government programs your federal jobs guarantees your green new deals all the big expansions of government tied in with all this massive money printing that they constantly want to do to help feed this this system that they have no way of paying for without the massive money printing but then the other side to it is this transformation of all of society really, but it starts with the economy. And the way you transform society is exactly as you, you try to find an end run around the constitution, government programs, all of these things by getting corporations, big corporations, international corporations, especially, to sign on to these things called ESG standards. is environment, social, and governance standards. And the way, the best way to think about this is a new way, it's a new way, a new system of evaluating businesses. So instead of just looking at uh, how much profitable you are, how much your employees are getting paid, all of that sort of thing, you look at those things, plus you look at all these social justice causes, you know, and how many women do you have in management? Uh, what's the gap between the highest paid person and the lowest paid person? How much CO2 emissions do you have in your supply chain? The list goes on and on and on. Right, right. You assign scores based on this. And then that way, really good woke investors and other people in government can look at these businesses and they don't just look at who's the most profitable and who has the most, the happiest customers. They look at who has this high ESG score and that's a way for them to decide who the good companies are and who the bad companies are, right? Hmm. So what this does is it builds into the system all these social justice left wing causes and it it pushes corporations by using government investments, by using uh, all sorts of cronious deals to move in the direction of left wing causes. And that's really at the core of all of this. So all these businesses, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people watching this show have noticed when they watch TV commercials, there's all sorts of left wing causes embedded in these TV. You can't watch TV. Feel good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, I believe is because this ESG system infrastructure has already been built. It exists now in so many corporations all across the world. They're already doing this and they wanna be on the right side of of history, not just from a moral perspective, but from who controls the money, where are they going to get paid in the future? And it's that way that they're, they're reshaping society, changing the way that we're going to uh, operate not just in terms of economics, but all of society is going to change. That's the goal. Yeah, um, and,
0: and it creates an incentive structure because, like, yeah. if you're a company and you want to get investment dollars uh, from a giant hedge fund, you want to have a good ESG score, so you have to build that. And it's similar to the way that you see with like these conservative organizations. I know FreedomWorks did it. A bunch of places will do it. Like Club for Growth, I think, has a score type of thing where you have like a you know freedom score or whatever. Yeah. And so a key vote comes up. And these Congress people know they're going to get a challenge from their right if they don't have a good score. So they're motivated to try to get that score higher. In my view, some of these things work really well in that circumstance. But this is the opposite, right? Like they're just motivating them into this left wing sort of universe by incentivizing them to get this dumb mythical score higher. And if they can do that, they're going to collect all of these investment dollars and become in the good graces of government.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that the key to understanding this is that it's not about what's going on today mm-hmm. per se. It's yeah. about what's going on 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. They wanna make sure that they have these this ESG system, by they I mean companies, built into everything they're doing so that when the day inevitably comes in their minds, that government starts looking at these things and deciding, for instance, who gets to be on the New York Stock Exchange, deciding who gets to get bailed out when there's another economic crash and we've got to print trillions of dollars to bail companies out. Are you gonna bail out the, the companies with low ESG scores that are degenerates? No, of course not. You're gonna yeah. bail out the woke ones, right? And so when you're looking at all of those factors, that's what they're concerned about. And there, there's this group called Principles for Responsible Investment And this is a group of investors, voluntary group. They control over a hundred trillion dollars, this group combined, all these different groups together, that signed on to these principles for responsible investment. And they're all agreeing to these ESG scores. And one of the main reasons is because they believe they're gonna make money off of this Mm. because they think this is where the money is going to be in the future. The government's gonna be printing tons of money, pumping it into these certain parts of the economy that are you know, the Green New Deal and all of that sort of stuff. And so we wanna make sure our dollars are there too. And so it's not just a feel-good, left-wing right. thing. There's a lot it's of serious. money behind it, too. It's a big cronyist scheme, essentially.
0: Let me give you one more. we only got about 30 sure. seconds uh, left. But don't these companies see that the end of this road is terrible for them? Like the end of this road is not like, oh, you're making more money. It's socialism, right? You run a website stopping socialism. It's like, how are we doing stopping it? It doesn't seem like we're doing so well right now.
1: Yeah, but you know what? The thing is that at the end of the day, a lot of these people who run these corporations, their bonuses are tied to profitability in the short term. They're focused on how do I make money now? Mm. How do I make sure I'm I'm not you know, uh, an opponent of the left wing mob, the social justice mob. How do I get through the next five years? That's all they care about. They're gonna get paid if they do that. They're not worried about 20 years into the future. It's somebody else's problem. And we saw this with Obamacare, if you remember that, all the health insurance companies all signed up for Obamacare, thought it was going to be fantastic. And what did they do? It moved us towards socialized medicine. We might end up with a single payer healthcare system eventually in part because of Obamacare. Was that good for health insurance companies? No, No, but it was at the time. But it was at the time. And that's why they did it.
0: Well, I'll say this. um, 20 years down the road, I'm going to be old, and it's going to be my kid's problem. So they can deal with it. (laughs) Uh, I won't uh, worry about it now. Justin Haskins, editorial director of the Heartland Institute and editor-in-chief of StoppingSocialism.com. Make sure you check out the sites. Uh, Justin, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stu. All right, back in a second. Before we start tonight, uh, let me say something that I'm sure is very obvious to you who watch my show. And thank you for that. You're straight with me, I'll be straight with you. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. No. Now, of course, CNN Wars. has to cover it. Right. They have covered it extensively, yeah. and they will continue to do so. Okay. I have always cared. No, you haven't. Very deeply. Never about these issues. Not one bit. And profoundly. Nope. So. No. I just not wanted so. to tell you that there's a lot of news going on that matters. Also. So let's get after that. Yeah, I bet. Let's get after that. Look, I mean, if it is. Oh, if. I can acknowledge that it may be very difficult for Chris Cuomo to cover his brother hitting on 23-year-olds or whatever all the time. I get that that might be an issue, might be a little awkward, I get it. Um, But you can't have Chris Cuomo praising his brother during COVID when he was murdering all the grandmas, and then uh, act as if he's just gonna be hands off when it's bad news. They, they allowed him to praise and praise and praise and praise his brother when everyone thought he was doing a good job, with the exception of, I don't know, this show, and a couple of other people. Um, and then uh, they give this out. Uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm obviously too biased to, to do this coverage of this. It's, it's completely ridiculous. Frankly, CNN is doing a terrible job through this. I'm not, I am I, not. I try to be fair. I try to show you at times when the mainstream media does good things. I'm not a constant CNN basher. At least I haven't always been. I will say they are doing a terrible job with Andrew Cuomo. Terrible. It's it's been a disgrace in every way. Probably the single worst performance of a major news network covering a single story that I can remember at any given moment, uh, as long as I've been doing this. I mean, it's disgraceful what they've been doing. Um, So let me go through a little bit of the Cuomo news here. First of all, I will tell you, it sucks because it's it's Texas Mask Freedom Day. We have all these uh, Andrew Cuomo is awful masks. What are we going to do with those? And then, what are we going to do with these? Uh, Chris Cuomo is worse masks. I guess if you're in New York, you can just get these and uh, buy out our, our, our sale. dot uh, com, by the way, or Andrew Cuomo is awful, awful.com or Chris Cuomo is worse.com. Any of those will get you there. Let me give you a few things. Uh, first of all, Andrew Cuomo uh, had a third accuser come forward yesterday. Uh, another weird uh, uh, interaction. Um, here's how it started. They were at a wedding. She comes up to him and says, uh, thanks him for the nice words that he said at the wedding. Um, but what happened next instantly unsettled her. Uh, she's 33 year old. Mr. Cuomo put his hand on her lower bare back, she said in an interview on Monday. Hey, you are in a backless dress. You don't necessarily want some creepy governor's hands all over you. Um, then when she removed his hand with her own and think about that for a second, she's pulling the governor's hand off of her back. Then he um, seemed aggressive and placed his hands on her cheeks. We have a photo of that. Um, So we know this interaction did actually occur, Uh, We don't know all of it, but there was photos taken of it. She said told people at the time um, he asked if he could kiss her loudly enough for a friend standing by to hear. Now, look again, is that a criminal act? Probably not, but super duper creepy Um, on the nursing homes. Let me give you this real quick. More than seven in 10 say New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was aware of the true number of COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes. The breakdown is fascinating, though. Eighty percent of Democrats say, yeah, he knew about this the whole time. Uh, Excuse me, 80 percent of Republicans. You'd expect that 71 percent of independents. But 62 percent of Democrats believe that he knew that. And uh, if if he did know that, 71 percent of voters say they want him impeached. So is the end coming? It's getting closer and closer. Back in a second. So did you get paid to give big government or big tech all of your data? Did they say, hey, we've got a business model we're building on this. Do you mind just giving us all your stuff? We'll give you some cash. Do you, are you an investor in these companies? Because uh, I keep going down this road. Why am I giving them all my data? Why don't I protect my personal data uh, from big tech? Why don't I do that? I can do it, of course with ExpressVPN. Now ExpressVPN, you you go through these sort of secure encrypted servers, Uh, the companies can't see your IP address at all, they can't monitor your activity, they can't get all your data and sell it to people, they can't do all the things they want to do, and that makes me feel extra good. ExpressVPN, you just download it uh, on your phone or your computer, you tap one button and you're protected. And I will say some of these VPNs, they don't work so great they will slow down your phone, they'll slow down your computer, they'll slow down your device. That's not ExpressVPN. Works smoothly the first time. ExpressVPN.com X P E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Get three extra months free with ExpressVPN.com slash stew. So am I glad the mask mandate in Texas has been lifted? Sure am, sure am. However, there are some reasons to still wear masks like this beautiful, luxurious Andrew Cuomo is awful gator. You're talking about high quality, whatever this material is, that probably does nothing to protect you from COVID in any way. However, you can walk into a place, you'll still be within the requirements, and you will be spreading the message that Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. Do Does Merch is the place to go for whatever Cuomo you happen to dislike more. Uh, So go get your masks while they still last, your cups, your mugs, everything else. We will see you tomorrow with more Cuomo bashing. Good night.